So, does anybody remember where we left off? We were in John 7. I think we were around like somewhere between 10, like 11 and 14. Somewhere around there. It's not 10? I thought I remember finishing at 10. Like I remember I was reading it. I think it was like 10 or 11. Yeah, I think... Why don't we back up then and, and kind of read so we have the context. Okay. Um, uh, go ahead and start with verse 1. Uh, Selena, why don't you read verses 1 to 13. Okay. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of the tabernacle was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, He is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Something popped out at me that I escaped, escaped my attention last time. Um, his, his words, it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. How did Jesus testify that the world's works are evil? By being good, by showing what goodness was, by loving, by caring. He didn't go around, your works are evil, your works are evil, your (laughs) works are evil. He showed what goodness was. So, the irony is, you would would expect that it would be the other way around, that, you know, he would alienate people from him by telling them off and condemning their works. The only time he does that is the woes on the Pharisees. And that's a single incident. And when he cleansed the temple. Those are the three times that he really declares their works are evil. Although it's going to get pretty vigorous in chapter 8. Jesus is going to say some very strong things. But um, what really got them was his goodness. So it gives us an example of how we should... And go about it as well. Contrary to like what we see a lot sometimes, like people kind of hold on to like a lot of the Old Testament, where it's really only given the times where Jesus like condemns his people, but those are only like intermittent times, and then other times he's like he's um, like holding his tongue, so to speak. And here Jesus says the same thing, except he does more action than talking. Yeah. So, uh, what do you do about this? Um, he says, 
Go up to the feast yourselves. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. And so he stays in Galilee, but as soon as his, his brothers leave, he leaves for the feast. Well, I think he's saying a lot there, because he's they're wanting him to go to the feast and be very public. obvious mm-hmm. in public. And he's saying his time's not yet come, because it's not time for him to be public yet. And he's going privately, quietly. So you would add the word yet. I'm not going yet up to this feast. And apparently some uh, later copyists felt the same way and added the word because you have manuscript variants. Ah. And one manuscript says, I'm not going to this feast, period. And other manuscripts say, I'm not going yet. Yeah, this one says yet. Yeah. And mine has not no yet, but with a little uh, footnote that says other ancient authorities add yet. Hmm. Now, keep in mind, when we do textual criticism, the rule of thumb is that the more difficult reading is likely to be the original reading, because it's more likely that a later scribe would correct a more difficult reading mm-hmm. than... than um, to uh, make the reading more difficult. So it'd be more likely that the word yet would be added than mm-hmm. subtracted on that basis. You know, there's a possible way of, of looking at this that when Jesus said, I'm not going up to this feast, he's talking about a portion of the feast that maybe he missed. So there's, there's various ways uh, you can interpret this text. Any other uh, insights about this before we move on? Uh, Well, just what I was um, talking to Professor Stefan the other day, and Mm -hmm. um, he was telling me that how John is centered around, um, well, the narrative is centered around several feasts. And so John, again, um, talks about one of the feasts right now, Mm -hmm. kind of providing us a time frame of when this is happening. That was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's similar to what I was saying, possibly. And you notice how they were talking behind his back. He's a good man. No, he's leading people astray. Does that? Do you hear anything like that in the church? <laughs> <laughs> the One Project, for example. Depending on who you talk to, it's it's a great it's a great idea, and no. They're leading people astray. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not to say there might be some problems out there in various places that have the one project. But I always want to ask, so uh, where did you get your information from? Well, I got it from so-and-so. And did that person attend the one project? Uh, Because if what right do we have to talk about someone or something if we haven't been there and and witnessed it for ourselves mm-hmm. instead of uh, hearing and passing it on. Okay, uh, let's move on. And uh, Christian, would you read verses 14 to 24? But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews therefore were marveling, saying, how has this man become learned, having never been educated? Jesus therefore answered them and said, 
My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If any man is willing to do his will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is true is seeking the glory of the one who sent him. He is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carries out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The multitude answered, You have a demon! Who seeks to kill you? Jesus answered and said to them, I did one deed, and you all marvel. On this account Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. What does Jesus mean by do not judge on appearance? How were they judging on appearance? They're nitpicking. Yeah, that's how we would say it. But what does it mean to judge on appearance? Maybe like surface, surface judgment? This is called the plain reading yeah. version. Uh, the judging according to just the surface obvious meaning and not asking about time or place or underlying principles or a wider context. Yeah. It reminds me of like um, Kohlberg's levels of reasoning and how like they're just judging according to um, it almost seems yeah it seems like it's more conventional reasoning mm-hmm. versus like post-conventional with like mm-hmm. the wider context and mm-hmm. universal mm-hmm. yeah it says it right here Therefore, for all times and all places, it applies. That's the surface reading. You judge me because I break your Sabbath laws, okay? Which really, I think even if you were to study the Talmud, you would find that Jesus didn't break any laws. Well, the only law he broke was he told the man to carry his mat Mm -hmm. on the Sabbath. Well, yeah, the disciples go eat grain. But the, the, the way Jesus is specifically talking about chapter 5 yeah. with the healing of Bethesda. Mm-hmm. Um, so so the, the, the breaking of the Sabbath was in telling the man to carry his mat. Okay. That was a statement on the Talmud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they weren't supposed to carry anything on the Sabbath. Not even a handkerchief, I believe. Anything else from this passage that strikes you or makes you raise a question. It's funny because the people are so angry after verse 19 when he's like... You have a demon. Yeah, and they're like, how dare you? We have all these buffer laws, so we never like get to the actual law. They're like so angry. <laughs> they're like, no. You don't keep the law of Moses. And see, you need to understand, it's the Pharisaic party that really holds the oral tradition of what becomes the Talmud. It, the Sadducees accuse them of not keeping the law of Moses. So Jesus is actually siding, in a sense, with the Sadducees here, which makes all the Pharisaic parties going. Like, in, in verse 22, the parts that are in, like, in my um, version, it's in parentheses. It says, not because it's from Moses, but from the fathers. Is that just kind of seeing the subtext of what he was implying? Or... 
I'm sorry, could you repeat that? Um, in verse 22, there's a portion in my version that's in parentheses. Um, uh, so not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to tell. Is um, Those are his words. I right? think those are his words. Those are, okay. yeah. it, Moses didn't give circumcision. Who gave circumcision? Well, listen. We would say God did, right? But who did he give it to? Abraham. Abraham. Okay, I was going to say Abraham, and I was like, oh no, this is a test I'm going to fail. But you notice he says, it's not from Moses, but from the fathers. Why does Jesus say that? I don't know. Well, maybe because if they're calling calling him out, that they need to have their... it's, It's odd that he doesn't say that it comes from Abraham specifically. Mm-hmm. He just says from the fathers. Because if you, if you study the Bible, uh, the, the covenants, there's three verbs that govern making a covenant. And the Noah King covenant is established. That's verb number one. The Abrahamic covenant is pronounced without a verb, as I recall. It's just obvious, the covenant, it's not called a covenant, I believe, it initially. But what happens is Abraham, when God gives him land, when he gives him a, offers him a son, he doesn't use the second term, which is to cut a covenant. So when God initially gives Abraham the covenant, Abraham trusts God and he accepts it, and this is the covenant of a descendants. Okay. Then God shifts to land. I'm going to give you this land. And Abraham says, how do I know you're going to give it? Immediately. Lack of trust. So God says, all right, I guess we're going to have to cut a covenant. And so he has Abraham go through that ceremony. I think I've, I've said this before. And, and so then when he later, when Ishmael's born, then circumcision is instituted as a response to Ishmael. Because if you read the storyline, that's how it comes about. So it is from Abraham because of his lack of faith. His lack of faith necessitated circumcision. Mm-hmm. Because he took on the terms of the covenant himself, and Ishmael was the result. And so everybody had to be under that covenant sign because that represented them taking on the covenant themselves. And it was intended to be painful so that they forever knew because of our lack of faith. Otherwise, it would never have been circumcision. So it is from Abraham, from his lack of faith. And Jesus is setting up something here uh, that is going to prove very helpful to Paul, the apostle. I think 18 is really interesting because it says, He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. And, you know, in discerning, I have, yes, I was just thinking, um, what if we use that as the litmus test in the Adventist church for who's speaking the truth? Those who speak on their own authority versus those who seek the glory of him who sent them. I don't know if you're aware, but there's just a whole lot of groups in the Adventist church on their own tangent. It's getting thicker and thicker and thicker with uh, this little group over here on this tangent, this little group over here on this tangent. 
uh, and then the great divide that we have in the church and the two extremes. So, who is seeking their own glory? And, and you know, we can be very pious and make all kinds of proclamations about how we are not seeking our own glory. But the real question is, when you, when you um, encounter this or that group, who do you hear about the most? Do you hear about God the most? Or do you hear about peripheral things? Or that they have the truth? Uh, kind of in a prideful way. We have the truth. Yeah. So uh, that, that could, verse 18 could be a really good litmus test. A way of, of testing the spirits. Now Jesus, verse 19 and 20. None of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? What, what commandment is he talking about? The killing or the... The killing, yeah. I don't want to say the wrong number. <laughs> it, it, well, you don't have to say the number, just say what it is. Um, that you shouldn't murder. Yeah. Um, why do you seek to kill me? But aren't they really breaking all of them? They are, but Jesus... they're not Jesus, showing love to Jesus, God, they're not showing love to people. Jesus is singling out this one, isn't he? And so the people answer, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. They know they are. But you have a demon. Why would they say he has a demon? Because he knows the truth about them. Because they had demons. And they accuse what they have themselves. Okay, that's, that's one way of looking at it. It seems like they're trying to justify what they're doing. This seems supernatural to them that he knows this. <laughs> so it has to be. It can't be from God because then we'd have to agree with him. But it has mm-hmm. to be from the other side. Anything else here? After he just said, it's hilarious, because after he just said in verse 18, then they say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You have to have a demon, because... And they don't deny it, do they? They just mm-hmm. say, who's seeking to kill you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, why don't we move on. Uh, Pam, would you read verses 25 to 31? Then some of them from Jerusalem 